Backtalk is an extension of the long-running, award-winning movie review show, It's Movie Time, which airs Fridays at 4.01 and 8.01 p.m. on WCBE 90.5 FM, Columbus, Ohio. Hosted by John DeSando, this podcast version features additional content and banter with guests. I'm John DeSando. And I'm KG Klein. And this is Backtalk, somewhere between 2001 Star Wars throwing a little Blade Runner in between, and who knows what else, is this new sci-fi called The Creator. Oh, what a movie. <laughs> what, and now, this is a movie that's been on my radar for a while because <laughs> this movie was originally intended to be a Star Wars sequel for Disney. Ah. Then things changed, and I think probably changed for the better. I think this movie is a lot better not being a Star Wars movie than it might have okay. been otherwise. But, I, John, I would say this is one of the most, if not the most, ambitious movie you and I have ever reviewed. Well, you know, you you may be right, because uh, on your recommendation, I went and I immediately knew that I was going to like it. I was hoping for a minute that Oscar Isaac was going to be in it, but that, that <laughs> no. But actually, it was John David Washington. John David Washington. And I'm warming up. He's still not got me completely. He has, he has the inherited charm, but, you know, I, I'm just waiting... He doesn't give a lot, I think. He, he, does, he doesn't have his father's range. No, I would say that. No. That's, that's for sure. He doesn't bring to this role what someone like Tom Cruise or Martin Sheen might have brought yes. to this role. Uh, he doesn't have that depth. But this movie carries itself along at such a fast pace and, yes. that I think any flaws that he brings to it are easily lost in the spectacle of the movie. And, you know, yeah, when you think about it as an actor, he's a good fit because he needs to be warm and approachable for the, the young child mm-hmm. who turns out to be a central figure in the fight between humans and AI. This is, this is a monumental two-and-a-half-hour, two-hour, 40-minute movie. <laughs> um, it almost plays more like a miniseries than a movie. It, there's so much going on. It deals with themes of religion, what is and what is not sentient. And, and the foundations of theology is all wrapped up in a movie that is just as much a war movie as Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> I, if I'm going to sum this movie up, for, for folks who liked Blade Runner and Avatar, this is Blade Runner and Avatar and Saving Private Ryan all kind of thrown in together. Um, it, it is a movie that has Blade Runner's elements about the the semi-sentient or are they sentient uh, replicants. Yeah, who is Harrison Ford? Yeah, we, we minus, yeah what is Harrison Ford? Uh, but minus... Um, Harrison Ford, of course, and uh, much, much more of the action combat that you saw in Avatar in this movie. My usual complaint for movies, and it has to be for this one, too, too many f- explosions, <laughs> there too is much a lot rifle. Of explosions. You know, all that is taking time away from what they need to do is even deeper characterization. And, and we're lucky we got what we did from Joshua, uh, that's Washington's role, and for the little child who is, in fact, a charmer. Oh, she is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Six years old. Six years old. <laughs> she captures your hearts, and she is one of the, what they call uh, uh, sentient symbiotes. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good word. She is an AI. She is She's an AI. A bot. Uh, her, her name is Madeline Yuna Voyles is the actress, the young actress. And she does a wonderful job with this. In fact, everybody in this cast does a very good job with what they're given. There is, as you said, a lot of explosions, a lot of distractions, (laughs) a lot of huge battles using CGI, of course. 
Um, it has elements of the Vietnam War in it. Uh, in fact, the director even says that he went back to Vietnam War films for inspiration. And Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is a big one in <laughs> I mean, there. Going up that river for Kurtz? Yeah. You know, we were all on a search. There are parts of this that made me think that these people were prescient because they must have been working on this movie for two or three years prior to now our fixation with artificial intelligence. And this film certainly must have had a start before this. And yes. It's, it's kind of out of sync right now because we are living in an age that's becoming more and more wary of AI well, every day. Yeah. Whereas this movie's topic, this movie's theme, is that AI is misunderstood and AI should be treated as a legitimate class of ex- a, a, a species, basically. And, can, and you have to appreciate... The fact that it's New Asia, where the, they work in harmony, mm-hmm. where the humans and the droids work in harmony, the New Asia, slam right in our Western faces. Yes, for, yes. For So let's backstop a step a little bit and tell the audience <laughs> yes, what sir. this movie is about. <laughs> Go ahead. So the movie is about a time in the year is 2065. AI rose to the point where it was almost identical to human beings. It was very hard to tell the difference between a human being. Except you looked at their heads. Except you looked at their heads and they had this hole in their heads, <laughs> which do. helps the audience know who is an AI and who's a, who's a, a... It goes a, right through the ears. A, it goes right through. That's just it's a big like hole a big in the thing. side of their heads. They, they coexisted. Then there was a, a terrorist attack on Los Angeles where AI blew up a nuclear weapon, killing a million people. And AI was then banned in the West. But AI was still uh, allowed and allowed to prosper and flourish in Southeast Asia, where they became uh, an important part of society. But the West, mostly the American military, has taken upon themselves to try to wipe out the AI in Southeast Asia, even though they're allowed. It's a visually impressive film, and I think that their starship... The USS Nomad, which is a Death Star-like ship that flies over Southeast Asia, dropping missiles on AI. And looking, it has a, a scanner like a, a Xerox machine. It has a, it has a targeting <laughs> scanner that beams down by laser onto the surface of the ground. Right. So you know when it's overhead, you know when it's about to nuke you. <laughs> but it's so interesting to see that here is the U.S. Army projecting its influence where it's not wanted in Southeast <laughs> Asia. Duh. Duh. <laughs> and trying to wipe out the this species that's living completely benevolently with the, the people of Southeast Asia. And they're, they've, they've they really have coexisted now for many years. Yeah. And then it sets up that there's, if, you're, if you're a fan of the U.S. military, you will not enjoy this movie as much because the U.S. military is the bad guys uh, and, in this movie. And if you love Alice and Janney, you're not going to love her. What an what a interesting break. <laughs> she plays from, a colonel. She, she plays, plays a very the, badass colonel. She plays a very <laughs> nasty colonel who is very much uh, um, not afraid I, to do the wrong thing. I think it's a terrific role. It's a great role for her. It's definitely breaking her out of her, her uh, normal comfort zone. And you know, you're, you're introducing a topic that I find so fascinating in this movie. The U.S. is not really the good guy. They're you know, not the good guys at all. And I, and I think no. that that's, that's a new take. I mean, they're not real bad. Yeah. They're defending us. But they are going a little bit well, too vigorously. Well, but the, the movie the movie steps into a trope that I'm not always cra- crazy about. Of let's base this movie on a faulty premise and then spend the movie debunking that premise. 
And a lot of movies go down that road. I'm not impressed by this approach. This is another one, but it's it plays a minor sort of backstory. You kind of know what the the big reveal long before it happens. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think the fault is? You know, we've both been pretty exuberant about this. But where's the fault? Okay, the, the movie does have flaws, and I want to. You could easily pick apart this film. You could say, well, why? How come they weren't able to take this giant ship out from the ground with all this technology that everybody has? You could say, how is the U.S. military allowed to operate with impunity in a foreign nation that obviously has the ability to defend itself? Um, you know, and how Good is ones. the politics at home in America putting up with this to begin with? <laughs> Good one. But you know what? The spectacle of this movie is so great that it kind of sweeps all those to the side, and you're just left in the seat along for the ride. And this is definitely a thinking movie. Yeah. Like, like Blade Runner and like um, Apocalypse Now, you will come away from this movie thinking a lot about what you saw. And from my point of view, it actually turns out to be a family film. Because do you, so, do you really? Th- I, I'm going to say. Well, you know, I'm not no, saying that you okay. bring the kids. No, a family no. film in the theme that you and I have talked about many times on these superhero films, oh, where yeah. it's always the father looking for the daughter. It's always a family connection that is the the end game. It, it oh, is it, all of that, but I would say that this movie probably should have gotten an R rating. Not for language, but for excessive war violence. Because okay. you see heads blowing off and people being blown to bits. But they're so, they cut so quick. They do cut quickly, but I would not encourage this for anybody under 14. <laughs> Can comment for me mm-hmm. on the human part of this film. That is, while we have so much spectacular production design, a lot of, uh, of spectacular ideas thrown in altogether, where's the element where... Let's a friend of ours. Let's just pick somebody like Audrey. Okay. What's Audrey going to like about this movie? Well, first I would ask Audrey what movies she likes. And one of the films I would ask her, do you like this? Is well, she, We know she loves Casablanca. We know she loves Casablanca. But what I would ask her if she likes 2001. Because there's a lot of similarities here that the most fascinating and I would say the most human characters in this movie are the AI and just like in 2001, you know, Hal is the one with oh, all the emotions. Hal is the original bad boy, <laughs> and he endures. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hal, Hal they, the humans come across as very uh, bland, very, very more like machines. And the, the AI, the Hal, is the, is the one that is thinking and feeling and going through an emotional crisis in that movie. And the same thing is here, too. You're seeing in this movie that the AI is the sympathetic characters. And the human beings, for the most part, are the ones who are the villains. Yeah. You saw some of that in Blade Runner, too. Yeah, in you Blade did. Runner, yeah, you really... The, the, the one good part of Blade Runner's story is the separation of the replicants from the human beings. The human beings have a, a little lower set moral values than the replicants do. The replicants are the ones that are just trying to survive. You have to think about John David Washington as being the savior of this film for humanity, for instance, mm-hmm. as the representative of humanity. And... Uh, Alfie, the the little droid, she has human qualities that are oh. slowly revealed here. So they've made their point. She's growing and she's learning. But while you use those terms in science fiction, you often think of aliens and things that are going to get nastier and nastier. She is growing and she is maturing in a very humanist way. And she's becoming more and more, not just compassionate, but I would even say messianic. Mm as she grows. Yeah, yeah. She's becoming a much more benevolent figure as the movie progresses, whereas the humans are just, they're just almost the, the, the pit of evil. 
You know, you mentioned 2001, which is certainly one of my favorite, if not my favorite. The other end of that is that Forbidden Planet is my... Mm-hmm. my oh, what a wonderful <laughs> is film. It, what a wonderful film. My fun science fiction. But anyway, for 2001, we end up alone. Our, our representative on that spaceship at the end. He's eating alone. He's living alone. And I'm wondering, is that the way this is going to go? How, how, how is humanity going to end up in the creator? This film challenges us to understand that humanity will eventually have to accept itself as a part of the Earth, not the dominant, sole dominant species on Earth. Yes. We're going to have to share the Earth. Now, other, other writers have theorized that, huma- Clark, for instance, have said that humanity will eventually merge with AI and will become cyborgs, and that man's destiny is to become a part, to merge with AI. But this movie instead goes the other direction and says AI is a species unto itself, and humans are a species as well, and they will have to learn to coexist. And this is a great film for interspecies study. It is a great film for showing how that cooperation can benefit both sides. There's a wonderful scene towards the end of the film, and I can talk about this without really giving anything away, so I'm going to, where one of the characters is saying, human beings want to wipe us out. They're afraid that if they lose this war, we're going to come to the Western world and kill everybody. But what they don't understand is if they lose this war, we're going to come to the Western world and do nothing. We just want to live peacefully with you. We just want to coexist. We're not going to harm you in any way. And this because humanity is so dominated by fear. We are so controlled by our fears And our fears dominate our politics, our fears dominate our religion, our fears dominate so much of the way we look at the world. And people have learned to exploit those fears. And this movie addresses that. This movie addresses that, well, people are being taught to fear something. Maybe the thing that they're being taught to fear is a lot better than they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, A similar thing to what happens in Apocalypse Now that is, when you see Kurtz at the end of the river and at the end of the world, mm. and you see how he has become corrupted by his mm. own passions and so on, it's suggested to me as I watch the film, and, the, and you were right, there are just so many topics and so many suggestions, it's such a good film for that, that the AIs will eventually become like us, that they will be eventually become um, healthy and happy and yet greedy and vicious. My feeling is that as we project to the future, that your benign view is good, but I'm looking at Mm. and saying, how do they not become human? Well, but you have to be careful because that could be your fear talking. (laughs) There's a natural tendency to to think everything is eventually going to turn bad (laughs) and become corrupted. But you have to remember, I'm Jewish, so I'm looking at this from a Jewish perspective, and it's very easy to compare myself to the AI and the history of, of Judaism, sure. especially in the 1940s. And our black audience the same yes, way. Yes, and the same way, yeah. that, and say, we have been through this persecution, we have been through this where the world was told we were one thing and we were not that, but it was a way to scapegoat us, a way to make us the target and to draw attention from the real villains. And that is the, how this film touched me, is this film is saying to me, that the AI are being used and manipulated by humans as a scapegoat. And at the end of the day, the AI may end up being much better than we are. And the AI in the New Asia is a good example of how things work pretty well. Yeah. Even though we have some gung-ho, I even think we have one gung-ho AI. He's a very tough guy, but he's, he's not necessarily brutal. He's one of the officers 
in the AI that's working with the humans. Oh, yeah. 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 And as I see that, I see the filmmakers making a very nice uh, coexistence theory going on here between the, the AI and the humans. We see things with the AI in this movie we've never seen before. We've seen the AI having funerals for their own and carrying their dead along yes. with the dead of the, the human dead side by side and having funeral pyres and, and ceremonies for them side by side. I've never seen this in a movie before. Hmm. This is a really, really interesting progression of the whole AI discussion. Can you see a sequel to the creator? I don't want to see a sequel uh, because I want to leave that question unopen, or unanswered. I think there is. I, I, I think if there was a sequel, it would have to definitely answer the question of what becomes of the AI. Yes. Once they, because they, they do set up in the movie that if Nomad is taken out, there'll be no stopping the AI getting back into the Western world. That the, this, this giant orbiting platform is the only thing keeping the AI out of the West. So that's a convenient way of saying if we lose that platform, then the war is over, they're going to come to the West, which opens the door to what we know is going to be the next chapter of the story. But I don't necessarily need to see that next chapter. Well, not need to, but you, the filmmakers may find that they have something good going here. It's going to depend on what the box office does. Yeah. And this I, was not a cheap movie, so it's got to make I a lot of money. Now, let me see. Is it too soon for us to know how it's open? I think it opened well, but I'm, as I recall, it was about a $220 million budget, which means <laughs> it's going to have to make about a half a billion just to break even. <laughs> these, these are tough times. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And I would feel more comfortable with this movie if it had a, a bigger name cast. You know, a Tom Cruise in this movie or a Martin know, Sheen know, would have, would have turned yeah, it around. Yeah. But I'm, hap I'm also extremely happy it was not a Star Wars movie. I am so happy no, no, it got pulled out as a Star Wars sequel yeah. and turned into its own movie because yeah. it was able to explore a lot of things it could never have explored as a Star Wars movie. And, and I think there's a lot that's superficial about Star Wars. There's a lot that's undeveloped. And there's a lot that Disney will not let you explore hmm. in a Star Wars movie. The, the droids, the, for instance, the AI are always just there. But Lucas, and cute. And cute. But Lucas and Disney have never explored the history or the relationship of the droids to the humans, which is the whole basis of this story. And I suspect, we don't really know what this story was supposed to be as if it, it was in the Star Wars universe. Was it supposed to be a droid story? Was it supposed mm. to be a force user story? Mm. We don't know. But I, whatever it was, I'm sure it would have been a lot more reined in by Disney as a oh, Star Wars you, movie you than, what, yeah. than the film we were given. Yeah. We're give, what we're given is a blessing, I think, because it was allowed to create a universe that's very rich and very new, and it was able to explore ideas that movies haven't explored. And I liked the very human element of Joshua and Maya, that is his, yes, wife, his yes. wife. And I thought they left that as a mystery and, and a good part of the film, a good part of the understanding the complexity of life. And you alluded in our opening segment that you'd like to have seen more character development in this, and I completely agree. I'd like to have seen Alfie explored a little bit more in detail. I would like to have seen Joshua's character flushed out a bit more, and I'd like to have seen a lot more of Maya's character. A few less explosions, a little bit more character development would have made this movie a little bit better for me. And so, KG Klein, your final words on The Creator. My final words on The Creator is if you're a science fiction fan, go see this movie. You will be blown away. And if you're not a science fiction fan, but you still enjoyed movies like Avatar or Blade Runner, go see this movie as well. I, I think you're going to find it, if you can get through the two, the two hours and 40 minutes, it, it's quite an interesting, thought-provoking movie. Well, remember, they're looking forward to three hours and 40 minutes of Martin Scorsese's. <laughs> 
new film. Oh, that's his short movie. 